The disappearance of the lost colony of Roanoke is one of the most mysterious things to ever happen in American history. Or is it? You're listening to Eddie V's Horror Show. Hey everybody, welcome back to Eddie V's Horror Show. I'm Edward Villanova, author, YouTuber, and the host of this damn fine podcast. Violet Church is not here with me today. She wasn't able to make it back for this episode, so I'm going it alone. And it's kind of a shame, really, because I feel like this is right up her alley. Today we're talking about an old classic schoolhouse favorite, The Lost Colony of Roanoke. This is kind of a strange and unexplained episode, uh, since this is verifiably something that really happened. But there's a twist. This is the first in a series of episodes where I'll be talking about some of the least mysterious mysteries from history. And if you're thinking, come on, Eddie, why do you want to be a buzzkill and pick apart these mysteries and act like there's nothing mysterious that really happened? Well, dear listeners, this and many other incidents like it are fantastically, and dare I say, strangely and amazingly solved. This isn't just me being a bummer skeptic going, Psh, there's nothing spoopy about this spoopy tale at all. There never was a ghost in the first place. It was just old man Jenkins trying to scare away the new land developers. No, I'm here to present you with the facts and show you that this mystery is in fact solved even historically so. So if you've been scratching your head wondering what the hell happened to the lost colony of Roanoke, I have good news for you. Your answers are nigh. But before we get into all that, it wouldn't be a proper episode unless I tell you about what I'm drinking. Per the previous episode, in honor of the spectacle that is the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial, I'm having a mega pint slash large glass of wine. Probably a few of them. It's the same wine from the last episode, but I realized I just said I was having a mega pint of wine and didn't even say what kind of wine it was. It is the choicest of choice wine. Truly, cream of the crop. It is a bottle of Peter Vela Vineyards Burgundy. Now, if you're not familiar with the decadent and sophisticated vintage that is Peter Vela Vineyards Burgundy, it comes in a very interesting bottle. Sort of an angularly shaped, really sort of a box-shaped bottle. And this particular bottle happens to be made of cardboard. And the geniuses at Peter Vela Vineyards came up with some truly state-of-the-art, next-generation, next-level wine technology to facilitate the deployment of the deliciousness within. Corks? Oh, corks? Corks are out. Spouts are in, baby. You put the box of wine, I mean bottle, box-shaped bottle of wine in your fridge because the classiest of wines always go in the fridge. And then you just pop out this handy little plastic spout and push the little red button on top to dispense this ultra-classy wine from the even classier space-age technology plastic wine bladder that resides within the box-shaped bottle. Truly, the masters of winecraft behind Peter Vela Vineyard's Burgundy are geniuses of the highest and classiest caliber. Letting wine breathe? Hell no. You want to keep all that oxygenating air locked out of the freshness seal that is the plastic wine bladder. 
letting people know what year any particular vintage is from by printing the year on the box, I mean box-shaped bottle, never. For the drinkers of Peter Vella Vineyard's Burgundy have no reason to trifle over the year of any particular vintage. When you've got wine this good, does a number printed on the label really matter? And from the promises of 34 glasses of wine contained in each box slash bottle slash bladder of Peter Villa Vineyards Burgundy for only $15, who can refuse the decadence, the classiness, the refinement of Peter Villa Vineyards Burgundy? Not this podcast host, not this podcast host at all. Not a sponsor. All right. Let's get into this mysterious mystery, shall we? So every kid who went to school in America has heard the story of the missing colony of Roanoke. The story goes like this. An early English settlement in the New World was on the island of Roanoke in 1585. So this is well before America was its own country. This is one of the first English colonies that would eventually be North Carolina. It was started by Sir Walter Raleigh, and while he was the colony's founder, he traveled back and forth a lot to England. He was a pretty in-demand guy, it would seem. Times were getting hard, and there was trouble brewing between the colonists and some of the Native American tribes. So Raleigh sailed back to England with uh, John White for supplies and weapons in case the colony had to defend itself from the Native population. When he returned, he found the Roanoke colony deserted. At first, he thought the natives had attacked while he was away, but upon investigating, there were no bodies to be found anywhere. There were some signs of a fight, sort of, with a few weapons scattered about and blood on the door of one of the houses, but nothing to suggest a large-scale attack. In fact, I want to roll that back. I don't think that that counts as signs of a fight. There were some weapons lying around. Inside the homes, there were tables set for dinner with untouched food left behind. All the colonists' belongings were still there, so there was no real sign of them trying to, to relocate somewhere else. And the most cryptic thing of all, a mysterious word was carved into a gatepost in, uh, in the center of the colony, Croatoan. Part of the word was also carved into a tree, Crow, or C-R-O, the first three letters, presumably of Croatoan. Historians have puzzled over this word for centuries, trying to figure out what the colonists have been trying to communicate before they seemingly vanished into thin air. One theory is that the native population finally came to attack the colonists and that there were no survivors. Uh, that doesn't hold much water because there were no bodies. There was no sign of a fight. There were, you know, like I said, some weapons lying around, not a ton either, and there was some blood on the door of one of the houses. But, you know, I mean, this was an early American colony. The work was hard. You know, maybe someone cut themselves while working, or maybe someone got bit by an animal. Hell, maybe there was a fist fight. I don't know. But there was no evidence that there had been a large-scale battle or a massacre or anything like that. I suppose it's possible that the natives led the colonists off somewhere else and killed them elsewhere. But if that's what happened, the bodies have never been found. The more paranormal-minded people think that Croatoan may have meaning in some form of witchcraft, used by witches either on the side of the Native Americans or on the side of the colonists. 
and that everyone was taken by some sort of supernatural entity, somebody either accidentally or on purpose, which has come into the picture a lot in these stories. One story is that the, the natives believe the Roanoke colonists were witches, and that's why they killed them. See, if you look at the bigger picture a little bit, you can see some interesting things that line up historically. I'm sure you're aware of the Salem witch trials. The general consensus was that there were no real witches and that it was just a bunch of paranoia and maybe some greed, some land grabbing or whatever. But there are some believers who think that there really were witches in the Salem witch trials and that the trials were either necessary or possibly that they were actually conducted, at least in part, by the actual witches. Uh, the witchcraft panic actually started in England around the same time, and it was brought to the New World by the extra, especially superstitious Puritan colonists. So even though the Salem witch trials happened about a hundred years later, the story, by some accounts, was that witchcraft in the American colonies actually started near North Carolina, with the first fledgling colonies there. So the story is that the Roanoke colony either really did have real witches in it, or that they also uh, had a lot of paranoia about witches, and it either prompted violence among the colonists, or maybe their weirdness freaked out the local natives and caused them to attack or the natives knew they had black magic and that's what prompted the attack, or possibly even that witches from a neighboring colony came over and bewitched everyone just for fun, I guess. <laughs> the big issue there, other than witchcraft being the case, of course, is that, again, there were no bodies or signs of a struggle. Another witchcraft-related story suggests that the Native Americans were the witches, and that they turned people uh, that that they that they turned the people of Roanoke into trees. This actually reminds me of an interesting survival horror game that came out back in 2017 called Unforgiving, a Northern Hymn. The game was okay, but the story and concept was pretty cool. It was based on Scandinavian folklore, if I'm not mistaken, but. It was based on uh, people being turned into trees, which I'm sure that happens in Scandinavian folklore too at some point, but at the time I thought that uh, the tree people theory about Roanoke may have been the inspiration for that game. Obviously, that story is straight out of a movie, or a game in this case. The people of Roanoke turned into trees. I mean... I'm sorry, but I, I gotta apply the Sagan standard to that one. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, and I see no evidence at all. You find me a tree that's wearing a shirt or some shit, and at least you've got something, you know? But just a wild thought. Oh, maybe they turned into trees. Yeah, okay, well, you know, maybe they grew rockets out of their asses and ass-blasted their way to Mars. Maybe they discovered the cold, chaotic embrace of Cthulhu and went mad. I mean, that sounds about as likely as that they turned into trees. Anyway, uh, the local natives had a belief in entities called Greater Spirits. And there was one called the Lizard King. The theory is that the Lizard King, on behalf of the natives, came through, possessed the colonists, and either made them walk into the sea and drown themselves or just wander off, uh, wander off into the woods never to be seen again. I mean, again, like, maybe they all melted into butter and got washed away by the rain, because why not? You can't prove it didn't happen. 
And like, why the Lizard King? I don't know. I don't know why he couldn't be one of the other greater spirits that the the local natives believed in. But um, whatever. Okay, Lizard King. Sure. On top of that, the Lost Colony of Roanoke has sort of been grafted into other mysterious stories for odd reasons. Or at least the word Croatoan has. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe, for instance, died under very unusual circumstances. He's one of the great mysteries of history. He disappeared for a while and was found laying on a park bench one morning in strange clothes. He was wearing overalls and a straw hat, which, if you know Poe, that was not his style by any means. He was babbling senselessly. He seemed delirious. And when he was taken to a physician, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. Although, either intentional poisoning or accidental alcohol poisoning were suspected. One of the more interesting theories was that Poe was a victim of cooping, which is a, a strategy that corrupt politicians use to hire people to grab random folks off the street who are walking alone, dress them in different clothes, and have them vote for a specific candidate multiple times. Uh, hence the weird clothes. But that's another story for another time. Allegedly, Poe's last words before he died was a whispered, That's, however, unsubstantiated, and contradicts what the physician recorded as his final words, which were, Oh, my poor soul, which was published in a Baltimore newspaper the next day. Amelia Earhart allegedly wrote the word Croatoan as her final journal entry before her disappearance in 1939. The notorious stagecoach robber Black Bart also supposedly scrawled the meaningless word on the wall of his jail cell, just before he escaped in 1888 and was never seen again. Interestingly enough, Croatone was also claimed to have been written on the cabin walls of, of the Charles A. Deering vessel, a brigantine ship that went missing in the Bermuda Triangle, only to be found adrift years later without any sign of the crew. I say that that one is interesting because we're going to talk about it in the next episode, which will be about the Bermuda Triangle. And, uh, yeah, the... And the Charles A. Deering was found near Hatteras Island, North Carolina, which is very close to uh, the area that we're talking about today. However, to all of the above, unsubstantiated, unsubstantiated, unsubstantiated. I don't know why people are so obsessed with the lost colony of Roanoke that they have to try to force this mystery to glom onto other mysteries. It's weird, but it's definitely a thing that people like to do. But despite all of the theories, wild or otherwise, I hate to break it to the true believers out there, but if you dive into this mystery historically and look at the logs of both Walter Raleigh and the Roanoke Colony's co-founder, John White, it turns out that the word Croatoan is not meaningless, despite what you may have read in your grade school textbooks. There was an island not terribly far from Roanoke that was called, you guessed it, Croatoan. Now, Croatoan is actually kind of far from Roanoke. I mean, it's close, but it's far. Uh, it's it's not impossibly far. It would be it's kind of far to try and travel there back in the day, right? Back in 1585, um, it's not 
uh, crazy to think that they would try to go there. But it doesn't make a ton of sense when there could have been plenty of closer places that they could have tried to move the colony to. Um, another theory is that they actually misspelled the name of a native tribe called the Croatan. The Croatan were one of the nearby tribes that the, tribes that the colonists had ex, uh, experienced some tensions with before. But they were not as aggressive as some, like the Apache or the Cherokee. So scrolling Croatoan on the uh, fence post and part of it on a tree could have either been a message to Raleigh and, and White that they had either opted to try to make the journey to Croatoan or that they had been attacked by the Croatan and had to evacuate. It's probably not the latter, because in Raleigh's logs, he actually told the colonists, you know, hey guys, I know times is tough, and I'm coming back with help ASAP, but if you can't hold out and need to bug out, carve the name of the place you go into a tree so I know where to find you. Yep, he literally told them to do that. So it seems like they tried to journey to Croatoan. This was so not a mystery at the time. Raleigh didn't even sail to Croatoan right then. No, he actually went to another fledgling colony to check on them and help them resupply. And then he actually sailed back to England to attend to some personal matters there. It wasn't until three years later that Raleigh and White sailed back to the New World to check on the colony, which they believed had moved on to Croatoan. Now, there's a little bit of mystery here, but not a lot, because upon arriving, Croatoan was also deserted. So at this point... Raleigh did inquire around some of the other colonies, wondering if anyone from Roanoke had shown up there. What he discovered was pretty fascinating. It seems that while no mass influx of Roanoke refugees had arrived, the other settlements reported seeing other Europeans in Native American clothing hanging out with the Croatan. Relations had improved between the colonists and the Croatan tribe, and they were enjoying a rather peaceful, regular, and open trade with them at that time. So some of the colonists had even spoken to these white-looking Native Americans who spoke perfect English, and get this, they told them, they told them that they joined with the Croatan tribe after living had become unsustainable in the colony of Roanoke. They fucking told them what happened. This is not a mystery. If you can't close that case on this alone, I don't know what could possibly convince you that there's no mystery here. But, if you still need more convincing, this was not the only time the Croatan uh, allowed European colonists to integrate with their tribe. Previously, another colony had also gone to, jo to join the Croatan, and about 15 years after, a French colony near Louisiana left everything they knew and were welcomed into the friendly Hatteras tribe which primarily resided, guess where, on Croatoan Island. So, why the sudden abandonment of the Roanoke colony? Why do they leave all their stuff behind? Why do they leave food on the table? The answer, if you ask me, is pretty simple. Things were getting tough, and somebody left to make contact with the Croatan to try and make peace and maybe see about joining them. The Croatan, after all, had been working the land for generations and actually had their shit together, 
and the colonists were just barely eking by. So when the Croatans showed up, responding to the invitation, it so happened to be dinner time, and a tribal representative announced that the colonists were welcome to join them under one condition. You come now, you take nothing with you, you leave all of your pale-faced bullshit behind, you either go full Croatan, or you stay the fuck here and starve. So they did. They walked out of their homes without touching a thing, and pledged their allegiance to their new tribe. If that isn't enough evidence for you, there's still some genetic evidence to talk about. So the Roanoke colonists uh, seem to have joined the Croatan, uh, which really the, the portion that is known as the Cherokee tribe today. So the, the, the Croatan, the Hatteras, and many of the other Algonquin tribes really don't exist anymore. There's no formal or uh, official tribal head for these tribes. But there are two different subsets of the Cherokee tribe, which many of the Algonquin tribal remnants became part of. These subsets are called the Lumbees and the Milugeons. And if there are any Native American listeners who happen to be from this nation, from the Cherokee Nation, and, and I'm getting that wrong, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm doing my best. So the Lumbees are blue-eyed, blonde-haired Cherokee who, and the, these are people who can trace their roots back in tribal history for generations. These are not white people who got an Ancestry.com account and found out they have a great-great-great-great-grandmother who was 116th Cherokee and decided to hang out on the res. No, uh, the Lumbees have uh, they've been a curiosity for a long time. And now with the discovery of ethnic genetic markers, Lumbee volunteers from a Cherokee tribe on a reservation in Tennessee donated their blood to be genetically identified. There was actually a theory at the time that they were descended of a group of Jews who journeyed to the Americas, but that that journey had been lost to history. So they were, you know, they're Caucasian looking, but given to the Native American lifestyle, especially back in the day, they were out in the sun all the time and, uh, you know, they, they tanned up. They, uh, just like over in the Middle East, they are uh, technically Caucasian, but being exposed to the sun for so long, their skin darkened. So because they, they had that look, they had sort of a Native American or a Middle Eastern look, they thought that they may have been Jewish. I don't know a whole lot about this theory about Jews coming to the Americas, but it was it is cross-referenced here. So that theory actually turned out to be pretty unlikely uh, because only one Lumbee tribal member tested having any Jewish blood at all and it was less than 3%. They also didn't have many Native American genetic markers either, with the highest concentration being 14%. By and large, if, if these people did come from the Roanoke colony or you know, other Northern European settlements, by and large, they only chose each other as partners instead of intermarrying with the original tribes people, because all of them were around 80 to 95% Northern European. The Melungeons, on the other hand, are also a Caucasian-looking Native American group, although they are not quite as standout as the Lumbees. The Melungeons have a much higher concentration of Native American blood, most being somewhere around 50 to 60%, and the rest of their heritage being from one place, 
France. So the Melungeons are believed to most likely be the descendants of the French colony in Louisiana who were integrated into the Hatteras tribe on Croatoan Island. I mean, tell me, can you get any more case closed than that? So why does this idea that the lost colony of Roanoke, uh, the, this mystery endures as uh, one, of the, one of the great mysteries of early America? Sir Walter Raleigh certainly didn't think there was any big mystery here, and neither did John White, as he had family in the Roanoke colony, yet he never showed much concern over what happened to them. And it was because he pretty much knew the answer. They were with the Croatan. The Croatan had their shit together. Life for them had probably improved. Hell, he may have even spoken to them regularly when he came back to check on the other colonies around North Carolina. They said those colonists routinely made contact with the white members of the Croatan tribe. Well, the answer to why is probably pretty shitty, actually. This happened at a time when England was trying to push for further colonization of the New World. The French and the Spanish both had colonies in the Americas, and Queen Elizabeth I was damn sure not going to let her biggest rivals claim the New World out from under her. News of the disappearance of the Roanoke colony had reached England, probably with Raleigh and White themselves, and if it was common knowledge that European colonists were joining the indigenous peoples in droves because they sucked balls at farming in the New World, nobody would want to go there. So instead, they manufactured a story. This was a big mystery. No one knew for sure what happened to the Roanoke colony. But it was probably a bunch of those savage Indians who came and murdered everybody. That simultaneously obscured how sucky colony life was at the time in the Americas and justified warring with the native tribes. So yeah, there you go. The Lost Colony of Roanoke. Not a mystery, just some good old-fashioned, old-timey racist propaganda. Well, that was fun to talk about. Glad I could clear that up for you. <laughs> Anybody who has uh, been wondering about that Roanoke colony... Uh, next time, we are going to be talking about the Bermuda Triangle, how that is really not a mystery either. Uh, sure, some weird things have happened there, uh, to be sure, but to say that it, it is as mysterious as it is commonly made out to be is a fallacy. And I guess this is a, a little uh, teaser. You know, Growing up, I always thought that Bermuda Triangle was this place that you just don't go there. Nobody flies through there. Nobody sails a ship through there. Because if you go through there, you're going to just get disappeared. No one's going to know what happened to you. You're either going to die or you're going to get slurped up to some other dimension or something like that. Um, and no one's ever going to see you again. And you're just going to become one of one with the mystery of the triangle. But... I mean, one of the major things to consider there is that the Bermuda Triangle is a huge thoroughfare for commerce. Uh, hundreds, literally hundreds of planes and ships travel through the Bermuda Triangle every day. And we will, we'll get into all that. There, there are some, some strange things that happened there, but a lot of it is, well, you know, we'll, we'll save that for the next episode. So I, uh, I'll give you a little update on what's going on with me. 
I've been trying my hand at voice acting for a little while now. Uh, I became a member of Casting Call Club. Shout out, castingcallclub.com. If you are interested in uh, trying to get into voice acting, or they, you know, there's a lot of other things that you can get involved in there too. Uh, animation work, programming, um, yeah, all, all sorts of th- stuff like that. And uh, I've applied for, or I've auditioned for, rather, got to use the right language. I've auditioned for several roles, and uh, I finally got my first one. So uh, it is in the Detective U series, and uh, I was cast in the part as Albion, a very small part, person of interest in this little uh, detective game. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun to do. I got paid a whopping $25 for the contribution of my voice, uh, voice acting talents. So, um, yeah, it's a small amount. It's my first role. Uh, but I'll be honest with you. It's, I've never been so excited to get 25 bucks before, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll keep y'all updated on, on uh, how my voice acting stuff is going, and um, I'll let you know when I got when I have more out, and when, and with when this one comes out, I'm sure they'll enjoy the publicity too. So, anyway, thanks for tuning in, guys and gals. Uh, I don't know if Violet will be with me next time or not. Hopefully, she will be, and uh, we will see you then. Thanks again for tuning in, and as always. Stay creepy. Thanks for listening. To read some of my stories, see my artwork, and find links to my videos and podcasts, visit my website at edwardvillanova.com. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about, a work of horror you'd like to hear reviewed, or to submit a true account or short horror story, send me a message at edwardvillanova.com contact or on the Eddie V's Horror Show Facebook page. To shop horror fan merch designed by yours truly, go to edwardvillanova.com and click on the shop link. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, please consider rating and reviewing my podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. The positive, high-star reviews really help me out. If you really like what you're hearing here, please consider giving to my Patreon. The range of benefits include everything from personalized content to free merch and so much more. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash edwardvillanova. Lastly, you can follow me on Twitter at edwardvillanova.